doing the work of the gospel in their, in their, in their apartment flats, in their places of business all across the area of China where he and his wife served, will be with us, sharing with us material that he has developed from his experience on the field, translated not only to America, but to the Midwest as he serves as our, our executive director of missions for our Metro East Baptist Association. And he is going to be bringing us three teaching sessions, one tonight, one on the 17th, and one on the 31st. Now you say, well, you know, that sounds wonderful, but I'm not a normal Sunday night person. I understand that, but I would, I would be willing to challenge you for these three sessions to, to come, if there's any way possible you can. Um, I'm trying to convince him to let us audio tape it, and he says, well, it's not real good without the PowerPoint. I said, well, we'll print the PowerPoint out then, if that's okay, and um, so that you can get the, the training. But, but I'm not sure we're going to be able to do that. So please come if you can, because he's going to talk about how we become missionaries on the mission fields where we live. Not have, don't have to go to China or to Africa or to South America or even to East St. Louis, although all those places need the gospel too. But right in our own communities, right in our own workplaces, how we can live a missional life. And so tonight and the 17th and the 31st, he will be with us leading that study in this room at 6 o'clock. So we'd love for you to come and be with us. But today, I want us to focus, in fact, the title of the message to kind of kick off this five series is Life on Mission. And we're going to look at probably one of the most famous mission passages in all the New Testament. Definitely the most famous one in the Gospel of Matthew. The one that, although it's never called this in the Bible, uh, we have come from early on in the days of the church to call the Great Commission. We know what a commission is. A commission is a mandate that is given to someone who takes on a certain office. When a, when a, a young man or a young woman uh, be, moves out of being an enlisted person in the military into becoming an officer, they are given a commission. When Sharon and I left um, the United States to go to Tanzania to serve, we were given a commission. Uh, and so a commission is a set of marching orders. It is a, a command that we live under. It's not necessarily a specific rule. It is a way of life under which our lives are governed. So a young man or a young woman who is an officer in the military is not just an officer when they're on duty. They are always an officer. They can walk into a restaurant, a bunch of enlisted men have gotten into a fight, and immediately an officer steps in. Whether he's on duty or not, he is an officer, and he takes control of the situation and makes things right. And in the same way, Jesus gives his followers, his disciples, a mission. I want us to read the passage together. I'm going to have it on the screen here. This is really as much for second services for this, although if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. We have these Bibles here for you, and not just for you to use while you're here. We buy these Bibles by the cases. If you do not have a Bible that you're reading right now, you are welcome to take one of those home with you. All we ask is that you don't put it on eBay, okay? Uh, just You're welcome to use it for yourself, and we will be glad to replace it. Uh, actually, Marla will be glad to replace it for us, so she comes through and does that, but uh, you're welcome to have one. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is what the, God's word says to us. Then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I think the more familiar you are, we are with the passage of Scripture, 
the more that we need to take the time to analyze what the Scripture really says. Because, you know the old thing about how familiarity breeds contempt? I don't think contempt means hatred. Contempt means casualness sometimes. In other words, we're tempted to just kind of say, oh, I know that verse. I know exactly what it says. I know exactly what it means. You know, we've all memorized it or we've heard enough that we've memorized it by osmosis. And then all of a sudden, we need to stop and analyze what does it really say. And so this morning, I'd like for us to do that in just a few minutes that we have together. And I want us to look at the fact that in this passage, we have one command, we have three tasks, and we have two promises. There's one command given by Jesus. There are three tasks that we do to help in fulfilling that command. And there are two promises that Jesus gives us. Let's start with the one command first. There's only one imperative verb in this whole passage. And no matter how it's translated into the English, you cannot deny the fact there's only one command in this passage. And that command is to disciple all nations. Now, most translations say make disciples. Because in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, the word literally is to disciple all nations. It was a verb. It was made into a verb. Now, we do this all the time in English, you know. Uh, I was just reading in, in some background about how we tend to take nouns and turn them into verbs. Did you know that until the 1700s, the word rain, R-A-I-N, was never used as a verb? It would have been laughed at if you said, it's going to rain tomorrow. Because rain was a noun. There's going to be a rain tomorrow. Or there will be rain tomorrow. Or there will be thunder tomorrow. Or lightning tomorrow. And then what we did is we turned them into verbs. And we do it all the time. If you don't know where to find something on the internet, what do you do? You Google it. But Google isn't a verb. Google is a noun. It's the name of a company that has a search engine. But we turn it into a verb. Let's lunch tomorrow. Now, that may be one that we don't say, but I hear it a lot among young folks. Do you want a salad or do you want a soup? You know, not do you want a soup, but do you want two salad or two soup? In other words, do you want to go out and get a salad or get a soup or get a sandwich or something like that? So we take nouns all the time and turn them into verbs, but it was not real common in the Greek. But in the Greek language, Jesus took the word disciple, which is a noun, and said, I want you to disciple people. And so the best way we knew to translate it was to say make disciples. But it's more than just making a disciple, as if you could start a process and then once they're made, you're finished. Discipling implies, by the very fact that it has an I-N-G on the end of it, that it is a continuing process. It's something that has to go on and on and on. It starts at a certain point, but it really never finishes. And so Jesus said, my command to you as my disciples, as my followers, is that you go out and do the very same thing. To disciple literally means to instruct. I want you to instruct people about what it means to be a follower of me. Now, is there a point at which a person comes from death to life? Is there a point where they surrender their lives to Christ, acknowledge that what they have been instructed about is true, and they accept it? Absolutely. But the discipling process starts long before the person gets to that point and continues long afterwards. Is there anyone in the room that doesn't need to be discipled anymore? You'd say, I think I know everything I need to know to get. No, none of us are. We all need to be discipled. We all need to continue to learn and grow and develop in our Christian lives, in our walk with Christ. We need to continue to learn. But Jesus says, your task is to be in the process of discipling other people people, all nations. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, he gives us three tasks, three ways to do it. The first one is go. 
You say, now wait a minute. In my Bible, it says go and make disciples. That, looks, that sounds like two commands to me. Go is a command and make disciples. Well, that's because, again, sometimes some, lang- some languages are harder to translate into others. There are phrases to this day that I'll think, after all these years off the mission field, there are times when I'll think, man, if I could just speak Swahili, you would understand exactly what I mean. Because sometimes in another language, there's ways to say things that just make it clearer than in the language that we're using, and vice versa. There are lots of things in English. When I was in Africa, man, if I could just, if you guys just knew English, I could explain this to you so much more easily. But literally, that is an ing verb also. So literally, if you read it exactly, it would say, going, make disciples. So some translations have tried to kind of modernize it, and they'll say, as you are going, make disciples, or while you are going, make disciples. You see what Jesus is saying? He's not saying, I want you to come together every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock and go and make disciples. Now, there's nothing wrong with coming together at a set time as a church family to be able to get out into our community to share the gospel. I'm not denigrating that at all. But I will say that the reason we have to do that is because we're not really fully obeying the command that Jesus gave us. And so because of that, we have to organize ourselves so we can do what Jesus said we ought to all do naturally anyway. Because what Jesus has said is, look, as you're going about your daily life, in going, by going, through going, make disciples, disciple people by the very lives that you live. So one of the ways in which we disciple is by going, whether it's on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or a Saturday morning or a Sunday afternoon, whether it's in a group or individually, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's at the ball field, wherever it is, Jesus says, Go and make disciples. Now let me just give you one more example just so you're, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. There is a distinct difference, even in English, between saying, Sam, I want you to go to the store and buy the following things. That means I want you to get in the car, go to a specific place, do this thing, and then come back. Or to say, go and learn how to be a Christian, or go and learn how to I'm not saying I want you to go to a specific place. I'm saying I just want you to go out, and as you're doing the things that you do, learn how to do this particular thing. And that's what Jesus was saying. He says, I want you to go on about your lives, and as you're doing it, I want you to be making disciples. So that's the first test. We cannot sit here. We've been talking a lot in the last few weeks among the deacons, among staff, and other leadership settings about should we maybe during the summer do some special things with our worship services. And you'll hear a lot more about that in the next week or two after we have a, a, big, a big mega deacon meeting today. And then from there, I think we'll be ready to, 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 to blossom out on that. Uh, nothing weird and goofy like, you know, wearing hats or something. But just, just well, that might not be such a thing. Go ahead, I'm going to go. Um, but, 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 but the one thing I said, I said, you know what? We can change every, anything we want to, but it's still a y'all come mentality. We'll sit here and wait for people to come to us. And I'm thankful for people that do. We have some first-time guests with us today, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm not sure what brought you, but I'm glad you're here. I believe it was the Holy Spirit, and I'm glad you're with us. But we can't sit like a, like a car salesman inside the, the, the lobby waiting for somebody to drive onto the lot. We've got to go out into a world and make disciples, disciple people as they watch us live our lives and see how we live. That's the first one. In going, by going, with going, through going, make disciples. Number two. And I, I, I skipped the slide, but basically it's on there. It says that the primary work of discipling happens out there, not in here. The second thing is to baptize. Now, that does not mean that you all will be Christians so you all can go out and do baptismal services in your swimming pools. But it does mean, some of us, some of us remember those days, don't we? But it does mean 
that in the process of helping a person to become a disciple, they need to be incorporated into a larger family. They need to be incorporated into brothers and sisters who are also being discipled. And the ordinance that Jesus gives us in this passage to do that is baptism. To signify that a person has died to their old life and has a new life in Christ, picturing them being buried in the water of baptism and being raised to new life. Yes, that is a testimony to what's happened inside of them, but the fact that they join a family. You know, you know many times when I'm in the baptistry, I will say, every one of us who are Christians in this room have been exactly in this place. May not have been in this church, but you've been in those waters. May have been in a river or a lake or a baptistry or, some, or somebody's swimming pool maybe. But every one of us at some point had to stand and testify publicly that they were now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so a part of being discipled is becoming part of a family. And that's why we so often will say, and I don't think with any apology, that truly baptism is the first act of obedience for a new believer. Now that doesn't mean you can't do anything else so you're baptized, but it means that is your public profession of faith. It's easy to, to, to talk about it, to pray about it in a private place, but then to come out into public and stand before people and say, I cast in my lot with God's people. And so Jesus said, the second way that you fulfill my command of discipling people is incorporate them into a family, into a body, so that they can continue to grow. And then the third thing is the teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. He says, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That word observe is one that we have kind of ambivalence about in the 21st century. To observe sometimes means to watch, just to watch. I'm observing. I'm a new on a job, and I'm, I'm observing what they do. I was, there was a young man. I had to go to Scott Credit Union twice yesterday, once in the morning and once just before they closed. And both times, a young man by the name of Ray was standing right behind the teller line. I came back three hours later, he was still standing right there. I said, dude, I think you're, you, you're, you're rooting here. You know, you need to move around a little bit. He said, I'm just, I'm just observing what's going on. Because that's how you learn, is to observe. And that is part of what observing means. But we also use the word observe, for example, saying, are you observing the speed limits? It means, are you seeing them so that you can do what? Obey them. Are you observing? If you, if you just see the sign that says 35 and you're zipping down there at 55, you may see the sign, but you're not observing the speed limit. You see it, but you don't observe it. And so Jesus says, I want you to teach them to observe everything that I've taught you, everything that I have commanded you. In other words, I want them to see it so that they can obey it and follow it, just like you're following. Oh, yeah, there you go. Just like you're following it. So we have to be observing. And so we look at the things that Jesus has taught us, the things that he has commanded. You say, well, what kind of things are you talking about? Well, it starts out with all the things that he literally taught us. By the way, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but for the first 400 years of church history, for the most part, by and large, the book of the Bible that they used to train new believers was the Gospel of Matthew. It wasn't John, it wasn't Luke, it wasn't Mark, it was Matthew. Because Matthew is the only one of the Gospels that has five distinct teaching sections where Jesus has these blocks of teaching, left the Sermon on the Mount. But there are five of them, along with a lot of Jesus' deeds and acts and miracles he performed. And so they would use the Gospel of Matthew to teach a new believer. And that's part of it. What did he actually say? What did he teach us? What did he tell us? But there was also the example that he lived. How did he live his life? 
And what does observing his life tell us about how we should live? And then, thirdly, I think it's observing the things that we live as those who are further down the road of maturity and discipleship. How do we live our lives? How do we respond to things so that as they watch us, they see Jesus in us, and then they can. That's why Paul could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He wasn't saying I'm just as good as Jesus. He said, if you want to know how to live like Christ, watch me, and I'll help you. And if anything will help a new believer who's having a hard time wrapping their heads around a guy that lived 2,000 years ago and lived in an, in an ancient world by, by our modern standards, it's by watching us and see how we do that. So you see, every believer is both a teacher and a learner. We are a disciple and a discipler at the same time. And that is critically important to create a strong church, to creating a healthy church. If every one of us understands that I have the responsibility both to be a disciple and to be a discipler. Oh, I thought that's what we paid you to do, Pastor. No, 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 no. My role is to equip you for the work of ministry. What's the work of ministry? To make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. So my job is to equip you so that you then can turn around and disciple those in your own, here's a little Greek word, your own oikos, which is your larger family, your extended sphere of influence. Lastly, Jesus gives two promises two promises one is very clear one is a little more subtle the first one is the promise of power you notice in verse 18 jesus said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth now jesus has hinted about his authority all through the gospel of matthew but finally now he says you need to understand i have been given in my resurrection all authority over everything therefore as you're going disciple all nations well how do those two things link well let me tell you if you're going in the authority of jesus christ you've got all authority too not a derived authority that you have in and of yourself but an authority that you get because you are representing the one who has all authority you have no reason to fear you say what you don't understand if i even hint at something about the bible at my place of work it could be very very dangerous to my job well okay you need to be wise of course but you know at the same time you should not be afraid you should listen to the Holy Spirit. How is the Holy Spirit guiding you and leading you? Maybe it's asking a friend to go with you to lunch. Maybe it's saying, hey, can we stay after work a few minutes? I'd like to talk to you. And you know, I can tell you're really down. I can tell that you're struggling. You, I, can, I can tell by the way you're acting. You're not doing your work like you've been. And you know, and maybe, not, not, not if you're a boss, remember, there's all kinds of rules about that too. But I'm just saying that you find ways to be obedient. And Jesus says, listen, I have given you all the power and authority you need to go to every last person in the city of Waterloo and say to them, can I talk to you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus' authority empowers us for mission. And the other one, the other promise is the one at the end of the verse, in verse 20, when he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. His promise of presence reminds us that we never go alone. We never share without him right there by our side. We never are by ourselves he is always with us he's with us when we come to faith in christ he's even with us on the outside while we're struggling with our decision about whether or not to follow christ and then he's with us as we make that decision he's with us as we grow he's with us as we tell other people he's with us as we mature and learn in new depths and new ways how to listen to his words we're going to do this evening how to, to to let it reverberate in our lives like we'll do in our virtual group how we learn to live godly step lives step family lives like david's going to help us do as we learn how to live a life on mission as we're going to do as soon as we pray and go to, uh, to bible study he is with us. He says, I am with you always. I may leave you physically. 
But by my Holy Spirit, I will be with you to the end of the age. So, beloved, here's your challenge for us today as we begin this discussion of being and living a life on mission. How seriously do you take this command? One of the reasons that my son decided not to go onto the enlisted side, I mean onto the um, officer side of the Coast Guard, was not because he wasn't a good boy, you're a fine young man, but he said, you know, Dad, he said, when you come under commission, there are great expectations. You have to be a leader of men and women. You have to, you're never, you're never off your guard. You're always a leader. They see you, the enlisted men see you act a certain way, and they're going, Psh, well, if, if the CPO can do this, I can do it too, or, or whatever your office is. And in the same way, if we, under, if we undertake this commission as disciples of Jesus, it means that there are things that he expects of us. And we should accept those things joyfully because he has promised us, number one, I'm going to give you all the authority and power that you need, and I will never leave you as you do it. So you're not going to have to face this thing alone. If you had to try on your own to go and baptize and teach and, and instruct and disciple, well, I'll do my best. I don't know how good I'll do at this, but I'll do the best I can. But when he says, no, 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 you don't understand. I have all authority, and I bestowed it on you, and I have, you have my presence with you. So the question is, what and how are you going to do what he has commanded you to do? You can either respond in obedience and receive his blessing, or you can say, well, I'm not really so sure, and wander in that sense of liminality between living an obedient Christian life and not. I'm not saying God never blesses people who don't obey. I'm telling you, God doesn't bless them in the same way. When we live in obedience to him, in unity with him, in sync with him, the blessings begin to flow into our lives, spiritual blessings of sensing his presence and his peace and the joy and all those fruit that come from walking in unity with his spirit. So what do you need to do today to get your life in line with this great commission? Is your life lived intentionally on mission? Let's pray together. Father, this has been a quick in many ways run through of what your son said to us before he left and came back to you. And yet the commission rings just as true today as it did the day he first said it to those 11 and the others that were gathered around them. Today a new generation of believers is called to be both disciples and disciplers. We are called as we go to disciple others by our lives, by our words, by the choices that we make, and do it with intentionality, do it with purpose, do it with thoughtfulness, and then to get them incorporated into families just like this one, and then continue that discipling process. Father, there are many of us today if we were to be perfectly honest, that have gone weeks, months, dare I say, maybe even 